You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Woo! We're having fun already. Uh, We're moving into our new series. My part, God's part, their part. This is a series about discipleship. And... um, Our vision as a church is that we are a movement of diverse people living out God's sacrificial love. How are we going to do that? By raising biblical disciples who develop transparent relationships, sacrifice for others, and heal divisions. Now, since Easter, we've been getting to the nuts and bolts of who we are as a church, as a church plant. It's really important to just clearly say, hey, this is who we are. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And so since Easter, we, uh, we've done three series. The first one was A Partner God Pursues. And we looked at the story of, of Abraham. And in Abraham's stories, we saw these five characteristics, these five core values that, that we suggest that we adopt as a community of believers. And if, if we do this, we'll see God partner with us and so um, the five core values that you can find in the back of our bolts and our authenticity, sacrificial generosity, unity and diversity, family, and roughly right. And so uh, we looked at that, and then we, then we looked at the Change Your World series, and that was through the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. And this is, um, this is really how we're going to function as a church, how we're going to distinguish ourselves maybe from other churches, what's, what's going to look a little different about Mission Ridge, what kinds of things can you expect us to be doing. And so we, we said throughout that series that changing the world takes work, that we are a kingdom of priests and that we're the ones that are going to be doing the work together. And then we said that avoiding messy people doesn't usher in God's present. And so we will engage the mess because that's when we see God at work. And when people fail, we're not going to run from them. We're not going to send them away. We're going to partner in restoration. And we said as a church, we will not be distracted from following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and being on mission with Jesus. And together, as a community, we will repent, heal, and grow. This is, sometimes we'll need to repent, heal, and grow from our own mistakes um, as individuals. And, and maybe sometimes even as a corporate body, we'll meet a, just kind of go, man, we did not handle that well. Let's, let's change some things. And then finally, we said God desires to see his kingdom here in Missoula. And so we're going to partner with him in that. And so that was our first two series since Easter, and then we took a Sabbath break, and we spent five weeks looking at Sabbath. But I want to go back to the very end of that Ezra-Nehemiah story, because that story is the last story chronologically, not necessarily in your Bible. If you flip through your Bible, you're going to find a bunch of stories in between 
Nehemiah and the end of the Old Testament. But chronologically, that story is the last story in the Bible right before Jesus, which is significant. And in that story, we saw that it, it doesn't end well. It's, it's awkward. It's an awkward ending. They're, they're breaking Sabbath. There's intermarriage with foreign people. And, and the real problem there is it's leading them astray to f- chase after foreign gods. They're not taking care of their own people. In fact, they're selling them into slavery. The priesthood is neglected. The the temple is neglected. And this really points to the need of a savior. And so Jesus enters in into that scene and, and we'll look in we'll look at that a little more here in just a few. But I want to talk about the American church because Jim Putman and Bobby Harrington, they wrote the book called Discipleship. Jim Putman was my pastor for a dozen years. God love him. He's, he had a lot to shoulder there. Me as one of his people. But um, they, they start off this book with discipleship asking the question, why is the church not winning? Why is the church too often not winning? And they highlight some statistics that, that says that divorce rates are about the same between Christians and non-Christians. Percentage of men who regularly view pornography are roughly the same, and the, the number is not small. Christians are considered to be more than two times likely to have racial racist attitudes as non-Christians. That one floors me. And then domestic violence, drug and alcohol abuse, and most other problems are just as prevalent among Christians as among non-Christians. Why is the American church not winning? And they ask this question because Jim and Bobby have been involved in church planting for 20 plus years. And, uh, and now they work to invest in churches around the country. Uh, Bobby, I believe, is well, he's on the East Coast somewhere. Um, but so from opposite parts of the country, they, they work and they network together to uh, invest in churches. But they believe that part of the problem is they see four church types four main church, you know, as people as well-intentioned, smart, devoted, godly people set out to establish a church. There's four church types. One is educational. This relies on a pastor providing great content on Sunday mornings. You guys are safe from that. Don't worry about that. Uh, second is attractional. An attractional church focuses on an entertainment methodology. Lots of flashy lights, smoke machines, bounty houses, better looking guys than me preaching, less face masks. Um, the next, folks, is a missional. 
a missional church focuses on meeting needs. And then the fourth church type that they see over and over and over again being planted is what they call either an organic or a home church. And this is a church that has a fellowship focus. And what I've observed is that when people are leading people to Christ from within churches, like their, their approach seems to match one of these four approaches. If I just get someone to the right Bible study, if I get them to sit under the right Bible study teacher, if I take them to the church they'll feel comfortable with, either the worship style or the, the speaking style or the cool event with the bouncy house, Maybe I could get that person involved in serving. Get them around the right kind of people. Get them around like-minded people. And they, they just kind of rub shoulders. And by rubbing shoulders, a little osmosis takes place. And suddenly they start taking on these Christian values. Or if I get them plugged into the right community, if I get them out of this community over into this community, we will make some headway here. And first of all, these are not bad methodologies. And these are not bad methods for helping your friends know Christ. In fact, we will use these methodologies. We'll use these methods. But these components, well, we, we actually see Christ employ these Components. Doesn't he educate the people? Doesn't he teach them? Doesn't he attract large groups? Wasn't he missional? Healing people, casting out demons, feeding large groups of people? And wasn't his ministry grassroots? So it's not that these methods um, are wrong. They just fall short. They fall short of what Christ calls his disciples to live out. And oh, by the way, what he calls you and I to live out. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, literally in the Greek, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Making disciples is the work of the church. Making disciples is the work of the church in our educating, in our attracting, in our being missional, in being organic. We make disciples. Who? Who makes disciples? Every one of us who calls himself a follower of Christ. That's our calling. I've seen hundreds upon hundreds of people baptized by their neighbors, 
by their friends, by their coworkers. Post Falls real life, Coeur d'Alene real life, Moscow real life, over and over and over again. We, Post Falls av averaged about six baptisms a Sunday. Every Sunday. And, uh, and sometimes the staff were involved. Sometimes the staff led the conversation for the person to become baptized. Corlane, not as big of a church, church about 400 people. We averaged one or two a week. And we would do them more often than not once a month. Again, sometimes as a staff, we got to baptize someone that we had led the conversation. But more often than not, it was the care group leader, it was the neighbor, it was the friend that did the baptizing because they started and continued the conversation. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people go to their community and around the world as God equipped them. You know, most of the pastors at the real life churches have almost no formal Bible training. They were plumbers and cooks and, you know, every trade that you could think of, that's where they came from. That's how God prepared them for ministry. They chopped up meat for 20 years <laughs> and put it in packages and served it at the store. And that was their preparation grounds for ministry. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people become teachers and make disciples. And this could be our story too. This is our calling. I want to go back to the, the last verse we just looked at, last slide. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I don't know if these words were as much for the disciples that first heard that or the disciples that hear it today. But this is the most exciting thing about what Jesus says. When we buy into this great commission, Jesus is with us. I remember I've been part of ministry for, well, a dozen plus years when I first realized that I was called to make disciples. I thought I was called to be a pastor. But I found out my calling was actually to make disciples that make disciples. And I remember sitting in a pew and Jim Pubman was preaching and probably doing a better job than I'm doing right now. He was a passionate man, uh, still is. He's a fiery guy. I remember him talking about our call, our call to make disciples. And I remember what car I was driving, and I remember the spot we were at in the parking lot. And I just said this awkward little prayer, sound probably like Nehemiah maybe, short little awkward prayer. I said, God, I want to step up to this call of making disciples. 
and I have no idea what I'm doing. Will you help me? And that prayer changed my life. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, let's give a little context of discipleship because that might be confusing what we're even talking about, right? In the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, we are introduced to the southern Israel's approach to life with God. Like These guys come from Babylon back into Israel. They populate around Jerusalem. And they're trying to reestablish the temple. And they're trying to reestablish the priesthood. And they're trying to figure out as a community how to live for God. And that's the story that we see in Ezra and Nehemiah. But at that same time frame, there's about 150 to 250,000 people that come from Babylon and populate northern Israel in the area that we call Galilee. You might recognize that term because Jesus spends a lot of time there. He's from there, and he does most of his ministry there. They considered their Judaism distinct from the Judaism of the South, which is why we have the terms Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay? They have different worldviews. They have different approach to how to solve this problem of how do I relate with my God? This Judaism would have a commitment that kept them pure in their walk with God. It's a Judaism that introduced the rabbi, the disciple, and the synagogue. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but you're not going to find those three terms in your Old Testament. They are New Testament terms. They were born out of the Babylonian exile. And then it took root heavily in northern Israel. In the synagogue, there's this schooling system that they initiated, and they were serious about learning the word of God. And so it started with Bet Sefer, which uh, is house of book, house of the book. And this ancient schooling started around age five and went to about the age of 10. And the goal was to teach common day skills through the scriptures. They used math. They, they would talk about... Um, the first five books of the Bible plus the two tablets equals the number of days of creation. So they would, that's how they communicated and taught the scriptures. And the scriptures became core to their understanding and their teaching. At the end of that time frame, that five years, you're expected to have the first five books of the Bible memorized. Well, I don't know if I would have graduated. Uh, only 10% went on to Bet uh, Talmud, which is the house of learning. And uh, this started somewhere around the age of 10, and they would memorize the rest of the Bible. 
they're what, what we consider our Old Testament scriptures. And then you had Bet Midrash, which is house of study. This is the top 1%. And these people have, uh, and, I, and I throw this term out kind of loosely because I know it probably has some uh, baggage with it, but they had a biblical worldview. They knew their scriptures. They knew their scriptures in ways that I don't, and I've been in, in their first 10 years of life than, than I do in my first 50 years of life. And that 1%, they followed a rabbi. And out of this context, Jesus calls his first disciples, and we see this in Matthew 4, 18 and 19. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus calls two brothers, Peter and Simon. These guys are working their family trade, which tells us something. See, if you were within the top 10%, you didn't go back to your family trade. You had a responsibility within the synagogue or you're following a rabbi. And so the fact that these two men, in fact, some believe that Peter was the oldest of the disciples, but the fact that these two men are actively working their family trade tells us that they were not the cream of the crop. And yet Christ calls them. They were raised up in the synagogue system. They had their first five books of the Bible memorized. Or at least pretty well. And if they weren't cream the crop, then maybe they were like me. And I, I am not great at memorizing the scriptures, I'll tell you that much. Uh, I love Google and search functions. You come and talk to me without my search function, I may not be able to find it in the Bible for you. Who knows? My question for you is this, as we consider this, because this is really important. Jesus' disciples spent years looking at their scriptures, and then Jesus discipled them. We have the opposite problem. We engage with a culture that, by and large, doesn't know its Bible. And so if we're just going to educate people by bringing them to a Sunday morning service or if we're just going to be attractional and do these events that, that invites people in and get them close, close to Christian community or if we're going to be missional and meet needs or, or we're going to be organic and we're going to be, this is going to be a neighborhood thing and, and we're going to like invite those folks in and build community, which these are all things that we need to do but if we're doing these things, how do we know that that new person coming to Christ knows the scriptures? Let's just use last series 
on, on Sabbath, the five weeks that we talked about Sabbath. I mean, some of the things that we talked about, could you have heard that conversation the same way when you first heard about Christ? Or did it take a bunch of context for you, a bunch of exposure to the word, even to grasp what we're talking about? Or maybe a conversation with someone to go, oh, this is what they're saying. Oh, that's found over here. Rob alluded to it, or Logan alluded to it. Jennifer said this, and, and this is what she's talking about. Marty talked about this thing, and man, so let's take some time, and yeah, I know. We're gonna have to work through this one because this is a little complex. Who helps those people? Who helps the new person coming to Christ with that conversation? Because in most churches, it's left to Logan and me. I got him here, pastor. Dropped him off, set him in the seat. Good luck, friend. That's not the calling of the church. It's not the calling of the church. Is it scary to engage that person and have those conversations and be vulnerable about our own lack of knowledge of this, that, and the other thing when it comes to what Rob's saying? What do you mean? I don't know. <laughs> he says all kinds of things I don't understand. <laughs> I pray for him. <laughs> Jesus intended for all of us to make disciples. He intended for all of us to make disciples. And I believe that's why the church is not always winning. I don't know if the church is failing, but the church doesn't seem to always be winning because all of us have a part to play and are we willing to step up to that part? When you were introduced to Jesus, were you introduced to a person in a prayer? Or were you introduced to a whole new lifestyle, a whole new journey, an exodus of leaving this world that you've lived in behind and walking into a new world and anticipating that Jesus was gonna be with you every step of the way and oh, by the way, the community of people he's going to raise up around you too. And you're going to live for a brand new kingdom. Because if we're telling people that what they need to come to is a person and a prayer, we're not telling them enough. It's the wrong conversation. Some things that discipleship is not it's not a book. I have so many books on my bookshelf from the uh, early to late 90s. Every time someone saw something in me that they thought should change, they hand me another book. And so I have a whole library full. If you, if you got some problems, you can come see me. I'll, I'll hand you a book. <laughs> I think that was the discipleship of the 90s, honestly. That's, that was how we did it. Oh, see that problem? There you go. Purity principle, okay. Um, it's not a fad. This is not something brand new. This is ancient. This is God's plan. 
It's not a gossip session. It's not a time to talk about our neighbors and our kids and our wives and our husbands and all the problems that they bring to us. It's not a quick fix. It takes time. It takes energy. And I feel like maybe that's the problem in the American culture that we live in. We love our quick fixes. We love our microwave. We love our fast food. Um, If someone has a problem on Facebook, we love the quick quote that will help them get back on track. It's also not forever. God has used dozens of people in my life. It's not about creating a following. Oh, (laughs) you're Rob's disciple. Sorry, man, I'm Logan's disciple, which we all got to agree is a much better deal. (laughs) But it's not about creating a following. And it's not as complicated as we like to make it. Um, I think it was uh, Billy Graham that said, I am simply... How do you put that? I am a, uh, I'm a beggar. I'm simply a beggar leading other people to the food that's been shown to me. And I butchered that quote, but it's something like that. <laughs> it's less complicated than that quote, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, what discipleship is, it's our calling. It's our calling. It's your calling and my calling. And we share in this. It's partnership with Jesus. I wouldn't want to do this without him. I, you know, our our definition of a a disciple comes out of that Matthew 419, someone who follows Jesus, who's changed by Jesus. Man, that is good news. (laughs) And on mission with Jesus. There are things about discipleship today that still scare me. But as I trust that Jesus is with me in the midst of this and that, that he's calling me to this and that he's with me always, that's when I step into that, lean into it. It's within our design. The way you disciple will not be the same way that I disciple. And maybe there's parts of discipleship that I'm much better at, and there's parts of discipleship that you're much better at, and that's why we have community. That's why we use care groups. That's why we have life-transforming groups. That's why we do things in relational environments. So it's not dependent on any one of us. But there's someone that that you can help disciple that I would never have a chance with. The people that my wife disciples, the, the people that she engages with, like I'm light years away from being able to help them in a tangible way. We're designed different. As parents, we all have disciples. We're all praying for them. We're disciple makers whether we know it or not. And sometimes that's your priority. Some seasons, that's your absolute priority. And I give you permission, let that be your priority.
but it's within our design. It is a lifestyle. It's not something that we add. It's not, we don't sprinkle a little Jesus into our life. Jesus wants to be Lord of our lives. And oh, by the way, he deserves to be Lord. We're the ones that have to sanctify him as Lord. That's our job. And it's a joy. It's a joy to see people grow and mature and to see new life come forth. It's an absolute joy. And my story started with Don Silver. Uh, he was a pastor. Um, but he just said, follow me. And I don't know if he ever formally said, hey, Rob, I'm going to disciple you because I don't remember those words coming out of his mouth, but he did that with countless people. So I followed him. I served with him in church. I went to the hospital with him to visit people. I did Bible study with him. I went over to his house for dinner and just had countless meals with him. I helped him put on recovery meetings. Uh, he helped me resolve conflict within my marriage. And he showed me an immense amount of grace. We did life together. Marty Solomon says, discipleship is imitating a mentor who imitates Jesus. Discipleship is imitating a mentor who imitates Jesus. And it starts by saying to someone, yeah, come follow me. Join my care group. Help me serve on Sundays. Help me go help my neighbor. Come over for dinner. Join my life-transforming group. And we'll do life together. Implication is this. As a church, Mission Rich, we will live out the Great Commission. That's what we're intending to do here. It's, it's written right into our mission statement. We're raising biblical disciples. That's what we're called to. And it starts by making a decision. Will you become a disciple to make disciples? It starts there. A decision to not make a decision is still a decision, by the way. But will you make a decision to become a disciple that will make disciples? For those of you that are just starting to figure out what this relationship with Jesus looks like, he is not calling you to a prayer. He's calling you to follow him, to be changed by him, and be on mission with him. And that mission is to make disciples. Now, out of that, we will educate people we will attract people to who Jesus is. We will be missional. We'll, we will take care of needs. This will be organic. This will be our friends and our neighbors, our coworkers. 
if you said yes to Jesus 5, 10, 20, 40 years ago, maybe in your discipleship, you didn't know that you were called to make disciples. For those of us who've been following Christ for a day or 50 years, I feel like we've all been discipled to some degree. I found, as I look back, that there were periods in my life where I had giant gaping holes in my discipleship. Oh, we didn't talk about that. Oh, no one talked about this. Oh, we didn't talk about Sabbath. That, that Sabbath series that we just had and our Sabbath jam. I mean, the, I, said, I don't know of another church that talks about Sabbath or has a Sabbath jam. That's just my experience. It's a gaping hole in my discipleship. But I was more than 20 years a Christian before I realized that I had a call to make disciples. I thought my job was to get people to the church. If I just invite people, hey, it's Easter's coming up, let's start inviting. Ooh. Not in the stomach, sweat, beating up, you know? Oh, I got to invite people. Scary stuff. Um, maybe you didn't know that that was your call. I'm asking you to make a decision today. And we're going to talk about how discipleship works. We're going to spend weeks on this. We're going to do this series right up to Advent. Did I say that right? Advent? I mix up Lent and Advent. They both rhyme, so I don't know. I mess that up all the time, but... Uh, yeah, we're going to do this right up until Advent. We're going to spend 10 weeks, 10, 11 weeks on this conversation. And it's going to be super practical. If you say yes to this, my responsibility, Logan's responsibility, other people within this congregation, their responsibility is to help equip you to that yes. Make it practical. Make it accessible teach you things that you haven't been taught before. Second step, if you're not already doing this, we recommend, I recommend, highly recommend you invest in care group because I can't do all that discipleship requires of me by myself. I need other people. And that's where it starts. And we'll talk about how. We'll talk about the how that starts, but get plugged in. And then Life Transforming Group. My friends, we're at a disadvantage and we're at an advantage at the same time when it comes to discipleship. We're at a disadvantage because people don't know the scriptures. We're at an advantage because we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's better that it go it's better for you that I go. Otherwise, the helper won't come. And so we have this great advantage of the Holy Spirit. But guess what the Holy Spirit uses in his work? Scriptures. And so if we're not giving him food 
to feed off of we're still at a disadvantage. And that's why in our life transforming groups, we look at three chapters every day for seven days. And three people discuss it. Oh, this is what I saw. Man, I saw this too. Wow, this over here. And what do we do with this? And it becomes an amazing conversation. We have to feed the Holy Spirit scriptures so that he can lead us in the things that God has designed for us. So, that's our introduction. Welcome to my part, God's part, their part. I I hope this becomes a very practical conversation of what it looks like disciple. But saying yes is where it starts. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.